This is the Professional Hypnotherapist Podcast, a production of the European Association of Professional Hypnotherapists. That's EAPH.ie. And a very warm welcome to you to today's edition of the Professional Hypnotherapist Podcast. Of course, apart from our distinguished guest, who today is Pamela Watson, the unique feature of this podcast is that it's the very first video podcast from the European Association of Professional Hypnotherapists. That's the EAPH.ie. The EAPH.ie strives at all times to bring you the very best in multiple ways, keeping you up to date on all things hypnotherapeutic by interviewing the top-notch therapists in their respective fields and expertise. Today's guest is a huge plus for us at the EAPH.ie. Pamela Watson works as an integrative cognitive behavioural therapist, psychotherapist and coach, supporting clients who have had a clinical diagnosis of mood disorders such as borderline personality disorder, bipolar disorder or autism and neurodiversity including Tourette's syndrome and OCD. Listen and learn from Pamela who, because of her extensive research, has designed and developed a unique program called the MenoCan program, directed towards women facing both cancer and the menopause. Sit back, relax, and I know you'll want to share this podcast with your friends and family. Now, let's hear from Pamela Watson. And very welcome to Pamela Watson here today on the Professional Hypnotherapist Podcast. Thank you, Aidan. Lovely to be here. Pamela, maybe just before we get started in terms of the work that you do, um, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I'm not uh, native from Ireland, as you can tell with my accent. I'm actually from the UK and I moved to Ireland six years ago just over six years ago. Um, we've been traveling over to Ireland for about 20 years. One of my best friends is here. And that was part of the reason that we chose to relocate here as well. Um, so I, my former life, my former work was in business and finance. So that was my former training. Um, so I, I suppose you could say I have quite uh, perhaps a, an analytical brain. It was all based around um as I say, finance, business, business planning, uh, sales forecasts, developing business development, all, all of that kind of work went on in my previous role. Um, and from there, I discovered what was what is called neuro-linguistic programming. So I discovered that in um, kind of a corporate environment. How did you find that when you're in the corporate world? Did you find it useful? it was it was very interesting i i learned about it with a an organization that i was working very closely with they were sending a lot of their senior management to be trained in nlp techniques so it wasn't the company that i worked for but it was one of the partnered organizations that i was working with mm. and to be honest aiden it frightened me really it frightened me yeah, because hearing about it uh, in in kind of a business context gave me the impression that it could be used in quite a ma manipulative way. Mm. So um, 
that that really it, it very much captured my imagination, but also maybe a little bit made me a little bit fearful of it, I suppose. And I also at that time I heard um a HR consultant talking about using NLP within the workplace. And again, in quite um quite a deliberate way, he was involved in making a number of people redundant at the time. So he would be inviting people into his office, having a very difficult conversation with them to let them go. But he was using a particular NLP technique that helped enabled him or helped him to deliver very bad news. Um, so it was interesting to hear about it in, in the workplace, in that kind of an environment. And when you were using or being trained in NL, NLP, NLP, um, what did you, what did your company hope to achieve by using it? Okay, so at that time, I I'd actually stepped away. I'd relocated, and I had um, I had the opportunity to look into retraining for myself. So I'd actually left the corporate world. I'd learned about NLP probably in the late nineties. But I started to train in it, um, I would say it was about 2006 when I started to train in it myself. So it, it really caught my imagination. And I, I did a little bit of reading around it. But when I had the opportunity, having moved away from, from kind of the business world in that sense, um, having the opportunity to retrain, that's what I chose to, to retrain in. And you've, you've obviously, you know, you've learned a lot using NLP. Yeah, I, I put quite a bit into practice. Originally, when I started to train in it, I'll be very honest with you, I did thought, I did think at the time, I thought I would take it back into the corporate world and I would use it with organisations. So maybe working freelance, um, having opportunities like that to work with sales teams to help increase revenue with using NLP techniques to increase profitability. That was my intent when I very first started to train in NLP. But the training um, really involved one-to-one -one work initially in the training. And that's what then took me in a different direction. It, it, it became very evident that I didn't particularly want to work within larger organisations with sales teams in that way. But I very much wanted to use NLP. And I wanted to use it in a one to one situation, you know, bringing that into individual client work. So that was a development for me with the use of NLP. Yeah. And as you mentioned briefly earlier, with regard to you know, there is an ethical way and an unethical way of using, you know, um, techniques. And uh, I know that um, you were in it for the ethical use of uh, NLP. And little did you know back then, you know, that it would have taken you on the road that it has taken you on to where you are today. Because where you are today is a, a very uh, well-qualified and um, experienced a therapist and you're known as the uh the, the cbt lady is that correct it is yes yeah um, so yeah it's so you're right it was kind of a, a very meandering path i suppose that i took initially nlp and um, that brought me then into clinical hypnosis so i trained in clinical hypnotherapy um and from that i moved into birth education so with the with using clinical hypnosis i trained as a hypnobirthing practitioner so that all went on relatively quickly it was kind of a, a, a 
quite a move, you know, through these training programs. Um, so it took me in that direction. And from there, it, it very much for me was about working with the mind. So whereas some practitioners would choose maybe, you know, a touch therapy, a hands-on therapy, for me, it was very much about working with the mind. And with naturally with the work that I was getting involved with, it was, it was, it was more probably around mental health. Um, so I trained in, in things like um, applied suicide intervention um, and mental health um, first aid, those kind of approaches. Did a little bit of, of work around end of life um, and discovered there that, that NLP and particularly hypnosis would be used very much. Um, you know, with people facing perhaps a cancer diagnosis, that, that kind of that kind of um, situation. So it was it was a very much about mind, about a healthy attitude, a healthy mind, good mental health. That then brought me to CBT. And I suppose my business background, being quite analytical, being um, somebody that was involved with, say, working with spreadsheets, um, you know, business processing, business processes, that kind of thing. I suppose my mind suited a CBT approach. So when I started to then focus on CBT, yeah. it then became useful to me i became my first client i suppose you know uh, moving away from from the work that i did that brought a little bit of anxiety for me stepping into the unknown um i left my previous work um retrained as i said but entangled in in that was ill health you know so for me i'd become quite unwell it was a very stressful environment that i'd worked in so there were health complications that, that I'd experienced. Um, so, yeah, as a, as, a, as a person that had faced a number of challenges in this way, I suppose I was beginning to experience anxiety. And when I discovered CBT and found that it was based um, around helping people with anxiety and low mood, it became a treatment choice for me, I suppose. So the retraining helped me as a person, um, but very much helped the the client work that I was then involved with. Mm -hmm. I think what I'm getting from you, uh, Pamela, is uh, amongst all your training and all the, the experience that you have, you, you have this um, natural ability to work with people and you have an interest in people, obviously. Very much, yeah. So yeah. I suppose that came from uh, perhaps from early life as well. Thinking about it, you know, my mom and dad. Um, as I was growing up, they they moved. They moved home. My, my dad moved with his work. So you know, moving into new community into new communities was mm -hmm. was kind of a challenge, I suppose. But yeah, having to make new friends. Um, my mum and dad at one stage. They were involved in the. Um, uh, they, they were they were publicans, you know. They had a pub, so again, being involved in that kind of an environment was very much people focused. Um, so I suppose I've got a natural affinity, you know, with people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, you would have to have, you know, uh, in, in choosing the work that you're doing, and that is that's you know that that very evidently comes from you. You know, if I if I could say that. Now, um, 
you're now in, in up, up up until today you're now doing uh, working with clients uh, as, and as I mentioned previously, uh, the C, you're known as the CB, CBT lady. And um, what specific issues are you working with? In other words, I suppose what I should ask is, what type of client would come to you to seek your help? It's interesting. It's interesting that you ask that. Um, it's quite a range, actually. So when I started to train in the UK, going back, you know, over those years, I noticed that there was um, kind of a reluctance for people to talk about coming into therapy. You know, I didn't train as a psychotherapist then. I would say that I was training more as a coach. Mm -hmm. So initially I would have have, um, perhaps aligned my business around working as an anxiety coach. So if we think about life, you know, all the challenges that life presents, um, anxiety, as we know, you know, it comes within, it comes from within us, but it can be triggered from so many different places. So it could be somebody facing um, kind of a a challenge at work. Um, It could be somebody experiencing a loss, um, you know, with a loss of employment a loss of a person loss of a pet even so all these experiences that we do have generate anxiety so people will come in from different directions and it could be very personal it could be a something going on at home father within the family um or like i say professionally you know within the workplace so i began working with um adolescents and adults male and female and that work, as I say, moved me into kind of birth education. So working with anxious mums-to-be or anxious dads-to-be um, that might be, you know, experiencing having a baby for the first time. Um, so that that I was drawn to work with people in that way. Mm-hmm. And in recent times, uh, I know that you have, you've received your master's degree in in uh, CBT. Is that correct? Tell us more about that. And indeed, specifically, tell us about the research uh, that you did. And as a result of the research, what you have now available uh, to clients, what's available to clients now? You're very brave to ask this question. (laughs) Very brave to ask this question. So, um, yeah, coming into Ireland, just before I moved to Ireland, I had started training in counselling and psychotherapy. Moving to Ireland, I, I, I was continuing in, in that in that way. But I actually had the opportunity to study for a master's programme here. And I chose, I was deliberating, do I do, I do counselling and psychotherapy? Do I do CBT? As I say, for me, CBT is a very, very good fit. It fits me personally very well. So I opted to to do that route. So um, that training began just before lockdown, actually, just before lockdown, I'd stepped into the the programme. So that was was a a, a strange experience, studying through lockdown. The, The research piece that I chose to do was something that that I felt very, very passionately about. So I'd work with women having children, work with women around kind of personal health. My personal challenges um, had brought me to um, to a stage in my life where I needed support and it wasn't available to me then, but I'm going back over a number of years. So when I stepped into the programme, I knew 
I knew what I wanted my research piece to be. I didn't know how I would formulate it, but I knew exactly what I wanted to look into. And that was menopause. And that was the reason for that is because probably 15 years ago, um, I'd started um, entering into an early menopause through some treatment that I'd had. But there wasn't there wasn't support readily available then. And the conversation certainly wasn't open then. There's been an explosion in about 2019, I think. There's been an explosion around menopause. And we hear this continually now on the television, you know, radio adverts, the radio programme that aired last year here in Ireland, um, really amplified the the topic of menopause. It's been taboo, yeah. May I ask, what do you attribute the, the increase, if that's the correct expression, in menopause? Now, I, I know um, from reading that um, in terms of um, cancer, cancer and the treatment of cancer can precipitate menopause. Maybe you develop that point for me, please. It first. can. Yeah, it can. So the, the reason that we're hearing so much more about it now is because women are finding a voice um, to talk about this. It's, it's a subject that would have been so secretive. So, as I say, taboo. Um, there's a lot of shame around talking about this this stage in a woman's life. So there hasn't been that welcome conversation. There just hasn't been that place to, to talk openly, feel comfortable talking about it. And I suppose part of the reason for that as well is because the medical model, as we know, you know, it was designed by men for men. Um, men don't experience menopause. So they wouldn't have the lived experience and understand the, the you know, all that's that's involved with that potentially. But equally, women's conditions in this sense are very complex. They're very, uh, you know, it can be a very confusing time and it would be extremely costly to research this. And I think that's why the research is only now beginning to come through in the way that it is, because more women are involved in research now. It's obviously something that affects 50% of the population. So women are finding this voice um, and, you know, we're beginning to, to, to talk about it rather than ignore it or, or, you know, continue with this sense of shame around it. So when you link it with cancer, um, for normal natural menopause, that would occur in the Western world for women at the age of 50-51. Um, cancer treatment, however, can bring on early menopause or menopausal symptoms for women you know, in the 30s, who would be typically two decades away from experiencing what is a natural phenomenon. So they wouldn't really have prepared for that. So the research piece that I did was based around natural menopause because my experience wasn't natural in that sense. And I didn't want my experience to colour, you know, the work that I was doing. So I chose to, to separate that out. Um, but what I wanted to do was to come back and look at the, the women that, that experienced something very early that they wouldn't, they wouldn't be ready for. Psychologically, they wouldn't be ready for. Um, environmentally, they wouldn't be ready for. You know, they're not in that place. So, so that was the, the interest that, that uh, I wanted to develop there. So it was based on my personal experience, the, the lack of support when I was going through my journey, uh, or certainly the early part of my journey, and I wanted to bring something now into the, into the realm that, that can support women in so many different ways. And 
What were your key findings as a result of that research? <laughs> it was very interesting, actually. So the key findings um, were, and, and we're hearing about this now, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not uncommon to, to hear about this, but the key findings were that women were very much unprepared. So now what we're talking about for, for the generations coming up would be um, a, a kind of a plan, a plan to, to prepare for this. So women were very much unprepared. Um, women were, they were um, unaware. So not only were they unprepared, they were unaware of what, what was actually happening to them when it was happening, because the, the information just wasn't readily available. Conversations weren't taking place. So we kind of stepped into something that was very, um, you know, for some women, it, it, it's not for every woman, but for some women, it can be quite traumatic. There's a lot of symptoms um, that can be attributed to, to menopause now. There's something, if I if I was to say to you, Aidan, that there could be something up towards between 50 and 60 different symptoms, that's not an exaggeration. Um, so women were very ill-prepared and kind of uninformed. That was one of the big pieces that came out of it. Another big piece that came out of it were that clinicians equally were ill-informed. So for doctors, if you think about doctors coming through the, the curriculum, the training, there wouldn't have been a piece on menopause or it would have been very 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 scant um there wouldn't have been sufficient training around this particular phenomena mm -hmm. so that was becoming very evident so when women were approaching the doctors talking about symptoms looking for support it wasn't readily available because doctors again were equipped um because there wasn't sufficient tra sufficient training around this subject mm -hmm. that was a piece that came out of the research um but yeah there were many pieces and the 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 all the symptoms or the, the number of symptoms that I'm talking about here a lot of the women in my research piece identified with a number of those different symptoms as well so it just it, you know it just brought all this information together it just brought everything together in that sense yeah, so I'm so I'm guessing um from what you're telling me that um education is is really really needed information yeah very oh. much very yeah. much yeah yeah please pardon tell us about that if you if you can yeah so so last year there was a big piece that came out of um i think it's joe duffy on the on the radio has one of the radio programs yeah so he opened up the he opened up the conversation around menopause and that just blew up um, I think where it was would have been maybe an hour's slot on the radio turned into a whole week of conversation around menopause. So it it, it just it just emphasized the need to have this conversation, to open this conversation. And that was a gateway. Here in Ireland, that was a gateway. And from the back of that, there has been so much more research that has been provided. Um that there's been a piece um the Women's Task Force went through Ireland talking to a number of different women to get their opinion and their the lived experience of menopause. So there was a whole piece that was funded by the government to research menopause. And on the back of this now, we're, we're seeing uh, specialist clinics opening through the country. 
Um, we're seeing different provisions being made allowed for. I think they've just reduced VAT on, on HRT products, for instance. So that there's there's a lot of work going on that is now coming through that we're seeing, you know, on the back of, of recent research. Um, and we'll continue to see that as well. Another thing that came from this was the collaboration that's now going to happen between the um uh the the Irish, now let me get this right, the, the doctor's training, the the School of Training for Doctors, sorry, the, the name escapes me, um, they are now collaborating with the British, Menopo British Menopause Association to bring it onto the curriculum. You know, so that will be the college that, that, that trains doctors. Maybe it's the Royal College of Surgeons, is it, or something like that? The Irish College of General Practitioners. That's what it is. The Irish, thank you, Aidan, you got me there. The Irish College of General Practitioners. So they now have a co collaboration with the British Menopause Society to bring a specific piece of training into their curriculum. Mm -hmm. And that's only happened very, very, very recently. Thank you for that. But you also, you know, as a result of your research, you have come up with an excellent program and it's called the MenoCan program. Is that correct? Yeah. So the, yeah, the training that I did, the, the research piece that I did was around natural menopause. Um, but as I said, my experience was a little bit different and I wanted to, to then look into that a little bit more. I work with a, uh, a cancer charity, a cancer support group. I did in the UK, I worked with, with one for about four years before we moved over here. And then I, I started to get involved with um, a community cancer support group here as well. And whilst I was doing my training, I was working with, with women in the cancer support group and with men, um, but it became very evident that the women were who were experiencing symptoms of menopause, perhaps because of surgery or because of medication, were not being supported psychologically. So they would be receiving excellent medical care. Couldn't, you know, we can't fault that. But when they were talking about other things that were going on for them and weren't quite able to join the dots themselves, they were feeling quite dismissed. Um, but I know that the, the clinicians would have been wanting to help them recover from cancer. So that would be the priority. But equally, when a woman is going through something distressing, as menopause is, in conjunction with cancer, there's something else going on for these women. There's something else going on for them. And as I say, there wasn't the psychological support. Um, it wasn't that evident. So I wanted to create a little piece that I could that I could start working with my ladies with um, that would support them in that journey through cancer, uh, through the cancer treatment. But if they've experienced the menopause as well, you know. Um, so that's the, the, the menocan. So menocan was just a play with words, menopause and cancer. That's that's what I came up with. Um, but it is it's a it's a program that's building on resilience because these women have been faced a cancer diagnosis, faced that head on, stepped into a treatment program. Um, they've really they're really digging into their sense of resilience. And I wanted to build on that sense of resilience with specifically the look at menopause as well. So can you give us the specifics of the program so that anyone who is watching or listening to us says that what 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 can I expect if I attend this program? You know, or what do I need or to 
what do I need to actually attend it or do I need anything or do I, what what type of client would I be? Yeah, know? yeah. It's actually, you, you, you've, you've asked something interesting again there it, it, because I was quite, my, my personality would be such that I would reach out for help, reach out for support. Um, and as I say, when I was going through my particular journey, I constantly looked for, for support and, you know, there wasn't really anything around. So that's my personality. However, there would be people that wouldn't want to talk about it necessarily. So it's not going to suit everybody in that sense. Um, So a lady kind of stepping into this program would be, um, she would be curious, I suppose, and have that open mind um, and want to be able to share her experience perhaps with other people as well. Because that is part of that recovery journey, isn't it? You know, that we have that conversation. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've been quite surprised. We, we, we've, we've, we've run it. Uh, we're just in the second programme now. We, we ran it before Christmas. We, we, we did um, get some HSE funding as well to support this. So we were very, you know, very fortunate. Um, so the first, the first group of women came in and great. But there's been, I've noticed with this, um, as it's gone on some women are quite reticent and it's it's for some women it's a very private process as well so they don't want to share you know they they perhaps don't want to step into a group for fear of of somebody seeing them that they know because they may not have even shared with even the friends and neighbors that they're going through this cancer journey you know um so yeah it would you know it wouldn't suit everybody but for somebody that has that open mind, that's curious, that, that is digging into that sense of resilience, that wants to build on that sense of wellness um, with, strat- you know, with helpful strategies, that's what the programme is about. So we've designed it, I've designed it in such a way that it's just a small number of women, only up to eight women, perhaps, um, that would step into that, uh, that, that kind of space. It's not therapy, it's a therapeutic space. You know, so what we're talking about is confidential and there's no pressure for women to even share their story. They could attend and just be there as an observer and take away something, you know, from what perhaps what we've learned. So the the, the mini workshops, I've put together a series of mini workshops over eight weeks, eight sessions. And each one is a standalone so they can come in and look at things like um, symptoms, as I mentioned, you know, because a level of of awareness differs you know so some some women might not as I say join the dots um so it's understanding symptoms we look at symptomology we look at some of the specific um or some of the main um symptoms that would cause perhaps most distress and that would be sleep for some and it will be anxiety for others and it might be depression for others low mood um so they're, they're areas that we look at as well um and and as i say build on this knowledge it's psychoeducational so we're bringing you know things into the workshop in that in that way but then doing little exercises that would help them understand their resilience you know a resilience scale not many people have done that before do they get a feel for where they are on that resilience scale you know so little bits and pieces like that and and another lovely piece that i specifically bring in will be mindfulness so that would be the guided imagery and that's the hypnosis part of it as well, I suppose. So that's, you know, that's some of the work that I deliberately bring in. Um, because we're seeing now through research that mindfulness can be 
um, used in so many different ways. You know, it has so much value. Yeah, and and the training again that I did when I did the CBT uh, recently, more recently, um, I did a piece on mindfulness um, in in the mindfulness based cognitive therapy. So that was that was a, a piece that I did some training in as well. So I bring it all together, and I think I would class myself as a um, kind of an integrative therapist. You know, CBT is is a lovely framework that I use. It gives me uh, a sessional approach if I'm working individually with with clients. So that gives me a framework with which to work, and then I would draw in from other areas. You know, that I've trained in a similar way that that you would, and a number of of so many other practitioners would. Yeah. What comes to mind now is uh, you, you may have answered my question uh, already, but if there was one one particular, um, you know, question or clarification that ladies going through the menopause would want answered or would seek information on, what would that be? One question? There are many. <laughs> there, is, there, is, there is so many. There are so many um, uh, sought after information. Or... Yeah, yeah. It would be when does it start? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When does it start? That would be a question that, that some women would ask. Um, how how does it present? You know, what are the symptoms? Uh, when does it end? Yeah. That would be a question. You know, that some that some women would ask. Um, because as I say, there is this. There is uh, just a, a lack of awareness, not not through any fault of ours necessarily. The information hasn't been readily available as such. Like I say, even speaking with your GP, you, you know, you can have a very different experience, GP to GP. Even with with female GPs that haven't trained, that there might be a reticence to go there or talk about it um, because of their experience. You know, so it's 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 quirky. It's a quirky one. Now, we, we've mentioned um, uh, CBT and, you know, maybe we'll just explain what exactly is CBT and why would I need CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy? Cognitive behavioural therapy, yes. So it's very, very helpful, like you say, the, the way that it was designed originally, pro- probably, you know, it's one of the newer forms of psychotherapy. So perhaps it came about 60s, 70s, something like that. And it was very much put together to support people with anxiety and with low mood. So that was the the, the, the whole premise of CBT originally. It was designed to help people with those mood disorders. Would it have anything to do with our thoughts? Our it would. It would. So the cognitive is the brain. Yeah. The B, the behavioral aspect is how we interact, how we communicate, you know, how we how we how we are in the world, how we are with other people. So it would bring together those pieces. So it very much focuses on this kind of kind of four elements, I would say. It focuses on the thoughts. It focuses on emotions, how we're feeling. It focuses on behaviour, 
but it is also a focus on the physical sensations that we feel as well, not just our emotional state, but the physiology of, of what it is that we feel. So they're the elements that CBT brings together. And as an intervention, it would look to make change. You know, so if somebody isn't happy with the way they behave, if they've got, say, anger issues and they don't want to have these outbursts, it would look at behaviours. If somebody has got intrusive thoughts, thoughts that ruminate, those horrible little thoughts that keep going around and around and around, we can work and, and look at those kind of things. Emotional regulation is a big part of CBT, especially in the way that I work. So if somebody is dysregulated emotionally, um, we can we can look at that area as well. But I think in the time that CBT has been here, there's been a lot of change. And this is what drew me back to CBT. And this is, this is what I was saying. I, I had a bit of a dilemma. Do I continue with this counseling and psychotherapy or do I go CBT? I trained in CBT originally, I don't know, I think it was about 2010 with the the, uh, association in Scotland, the, what was it called? Oh my goodness me, I can't remember now. This is is a menopausal thing, by the way, (laughs) when you have like brain freeze or brain fog. Was it in Scotland? Pardon? Motivational Institute in Scotland. That was that was the NLP training. That was the NLP training. So the the west of Scotland, the uh, Institute of Counselling, the Institute of Counselling. That's where I started to train with um, with CBT. Um, and as I say, that was in about 2010. So it was very much based around negative thought patterns, negative thought processes. Since 2010, there's been so much more development with CBT and it's classed as more innovative now. So it draws from things like compassion focus therapies, mm. from um, acceptance and commitment therapy, acts therapy, mindfulness approaches. It draws from all these other areas now. So CBT has developed in a way that there will be very specific programs um that will be designed for use with say psychosis or eating disorders or suicidal thoughts uh body dysmorphia there'll be so many specific cbt programs now um and that's happened you know more recently so that's what drew me back to cbt to to go down that route because it was my my first love i suppose when i looked into psychotherapy and because of the change that's happened i wanted to to develop my my skills as a practitioner to be that little bit more innovative and in in doing the training what it's opened up for me is the conversation that i can now have with say somebody with a mood disorder such as bipolar or borderline personality disorder or um adhd or tourette's i mean these are people that i would work with that have specific disorders and CBT lends itself to this. So I'm not saying that somebody should have CBT. Um, what I am saying is that I know that it can be helpful in so many different ways. And that's that's the reason that I wanted to get involved because it was the one-to-one care that I wanted to provide. Um, but in doing the further training, it's enabled me to sit with so many different clients in different ways. So when would CBT be contraindicated? When would you not use it? If so, now when I said that it was designed around anxiety and depression, that is true. But I've experienced where, and this has only happened 
I'm thinking back now, maybe tw- maybe twice. So I wouldn't use. Oh, it's been it's been a little bit of a struggle with with a couple of clients that have been severely depressed, mm. severely depressed. With some clients, it's worked okay with, even though they have been severely depressed. With some clients, it hasn't worked too well with because CBT is quite directive, mm. as you maybe gauge from the way that I speak. Um, it, it can be quite directive, but it's very goal focused as well. So, you know, we don't we don't necessarily go back over the past with CBT. We don't do the the deep uh, psychoanalysis. We can do that. And often we do do that. But from the outset, we're starting with what is the current problem? Where do you want to be? You know, so what is the challenge that you have right now? What is the issue that you're dealing with right now? Where would you like to be? So that's the conversation you have initially. So then we create goals. It's like, okay, that's where you want to be. So then we're developing the strategies that might work towards those goals. So for somebody that's very, very depressed that has no motivation, no motivation, it might just be a little too difficult for them at that time. They may need a different therapeutic approach. They may need to be able to sit with somebody and to be able to really kind of go back and and just talk and talk and talk and talk and release, you know, some of that um, that kind of emotion that perhaps has been stored for so long. Um, so CBT is a little bit different in that sense. So I don't know if that answers your question there. Thank you for that. Um, I, I'm thinking also, you know, the chicken or egg situation. Um, um, and I'll clarify what I mean by that. You know, which comes first? Is it a thought comes first or is it a feeling that comes first? Again, different schools of thought, um, pardon the pun. But the the for some, you know, it would some would will get the feeling, definitely, would would have the emotion. Uh that can then trigger the thought. Right. The other way around, it can happen as well. Somebody can have a thought and then it can elicit the emotion or the feelings. So, and that's why I say CBT looks at these different areas. So we wouldn't necessarily intervene with thoughts if if that isn't going to be the best place to start you know we would look at behavior perhaps yeah. or we'd look at emotional regulation you know so it lends itself to to come you know from a different a different angle i suppose and i suppose in that regard it's it's dynamic you know yeah. your change and what i get from you is that it's very much um results focused oriented yeah, yeah, it, it is because it is very goal focused. It's like, what is your challenge? What is, what is it that you're experiencing? What what is it you want to change? What do you want to make happen? You know, what do you want to be different? So it is it is very much about working towards a goal in that sense. Mm-hmm. I note uh, that you work with people with um, personality disorder. Is that how? Um, how difficult is that or is it difficult or is it any different from any other client no it is it is different it is different um it can be challenging in a different way um and i can give you an example um i was working with a client that that presented with anxiety so this would be a woman in her 20s mid 20s um she presented with anxiety and we started to do work around that She'd been in the mental health uh, community team. She'd been working with them since adolescence. I think she, since she was about mid-teens, 
So she'd been with them a number, number of years, um, but wasn't because, and it's not being critical of, of that level of care or that, that way of providing care, but the continuity of care in that situation is quite challenging. You know, um, a, a patient, people coming to see me are not patients, but in that, that setting, obviously the patients. So as a patient, she may go in for an appointment and um, you know, speak with a consultant, and then on a next visit, it will be somebody different. And then on the next visit, again, somebody different. So she was having to repeat her story. Um, <clears throat> and not feeling really supported. She was very much supported from a medication point of view. You know, they were regularly checking on, you know, what level of, of medication she was on, how was the dosage, how was that, you know, it was that helping, you know, so she was getting very much support in that way. But but from um, a psychological viewpoint, she wasn't really because of this inconsistency. Um, she wasn't she wasn't in the best place. So she came for CBT presented with anxiety after a number of sessions. Now, if somebody's presenting to me with anxiety and, and I don't feel, you know, from the intake session that we have, if I don't feel there's there's much underlying that, uh, the much else underlying that. Um, if it's generalized anxiety, you know, general anxiety in a sense, um, I would say, you know, eight sessions, you would definitely be feeling different. Definitely be feeling different. If you're doing the, if you put in the work in, if you put in the effort, like I say, it's motivational, you know, we need to keep it moving. Um, somebody would, would, would be feeling a different change in that time. So the CBT could be classed as a brief therapy. Yeah. However, for somebody with a mood disorder, sessions can go on much, much, much longer. So then it isn't a brief therapy in that sense. And we may have to go back and revisit other areas that we wouldn't have expected to. And with this particular client, it became apparent to me, I wouldn't make a diagnosis, I'm not a doctor, um, but obviously working with the DSM-5, as you know, you know, we're able to, to look at particular traits and, and see you know, if we've got a particular suspicion or if you've got particular thoughts, we'll go and consult and you know, we've got the reference material to work with. So I'd, I'd, I'd got a feeling that there was something something else going on. And I asked if she would go back for a reassessment. And this particular woman was then diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. So she'd been diagnosed with anxiety initially, but I felt there was something more going on. I challenged that. And it was difficult in the session because, as we know, giving labels to people as well can create problems. You know, so I didn't want to 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 make the situation worse, obviously. But from a practitioner viewpoint, I needed to know that I was giving her the best care. You know, I had a duty of care to her and I wanted to make sure that she was on the right medication. So she went back. She did have a, a further diagnosis assessment and um, yeah, personal personality disorder. So we, we did a number of sessions way, way, way beyond what I initially thought we would. Um, so that was very different. And working with somebody with, say, uh, bipolar, yeah. those kind of mood swings almost, um, again, that can be quite challenging because for those clients, even coming into a session can be challenging, depending on what their mood is, what their state is. And you might find that those clients would cancel, may cancel last minute, 
because they're not feeling great. They're not in the right place that they can come and attend a therapy session. So there is a challenge. And being a practitioner, you're, you're trying to work consistently, but it may be that it's a little bit of stop, start, stop, start. Um, yeah. And, and neurodiversity as well. And we're seeing all these different um, conditions coming through, you know, with brain disorders. So again, you know, working with clients with Tourette's or OCD um, would be highly challenging. And again, that would go on over many more sessions um, to, to help to help them, you know, regulate and, and live in a world that's really challenging for them. Great. And, and um, what comes across is, you know, your, your professional attitude, your integrity as a therapist and your care, above all, your duty of care a genuine care that you have for you, for your client. Um, now, out there now, I'm sure anybody watching this, maybe there's somebody watching this who, um, you know, is struggling. Um, what message would you have for someone who is watching this? Or indeed, maybe somebody who knows somebody, maybe a loved one is struggling. What, what would your, your message be to them in terms of seeking help? My first comment would be to to try, I would like to try and persuade people not to struggle alone. Um, and that's for the for the for the for the person that, that has the challenge or for somebody that's caring for, for somebody with a challenge. Um, not to not to just sit with this by yourself, to take to take a step, to take one small step. Um, I know how difficult it can be for clients to come into the to the room with us. Um, and I know that that can involve a lot of deliberation as well. So there can be a lot of time spent trying to figure out, am I doing the right thing? Will I be seeing the right person? Will I be safe? Can I trust this person? There's so many questions that would be in somebody's mind as they as they take you know make that decision so my first would be reach out take the smallest step now with the internet you know we can do so much research good and bad you know you, you you've got to be very measured as to as to what you're looking at as well i suppose but there are support groups you know there's so many support groups um practitioners working privately as as i do um community support there's so much available to us um, that can that can help when we're struggling. So it's take that first step. That first step, and that's um, a very poignant, apt time to conclude our discussion here today. Take that first step. Um, so how can we contact you, uh, Pamela Watson? So you you quite rightly said I am the CBT lady. So that that actually came about. It was a friend that suggested that. Um, she said, you're the CBT lady. Why not call yourself the CBT lady? So I ran with it. So the, the I do have a website. So it would be www.thecbtlady.com. Uh, I'm on social media platforms as well. I can be found that way. I work with a community uh, therapy centre. So based in Ennis. And that would be the Ennis Therapy Centre. So they have a website as well. My details are there. And the uh, community cancer support group that I work with, which is GOAT, GOAT Cancer Support, Holly Blue House. My details are with them as well. That's G-O-R-T, isn't it? Yes, G-O-R-T, GOAT. 
All right, uh, Pamela Watson, thank you so much. And thank you, Aidan. It's been a pleasure. You have been listening to the Professional Hypnotherapist Podcast, a production of the European Association of Professional Hypnotherapists. That's EAPH.ie. I have been your host, Aidan Noon, and I look forward to talking to you again very, very soon. Why not pop over to EAPH.ie website right now and contact one of our many therapists who are just waiting to hear from you. That's eaph.ie. Bye-bye for now.